This is Nick Brown, Commissioning Editor for Global Child Health at Archives. It's a pleasure to introduce a colleague and good friend of mine, Aisha Yousafzai, who's Associate Professor in Child Development and Health at the Aga Khan University in Pakistan. Aisha and uh, colleagues from the UK have recently published a fascinating paper uh, looking at the state of play in terms of global health in um, child disability. So not only have they addressed the uh, screening programs that have been tried to date, but also looked at interventions. I'll let Aisha explain a lot more than this, but I, I thought I'd ask if you could explain a bit about the background of child disability in the context of global health and why that both needs to change and why it might now be changing. Thanks, Nick. Really, the concept behind the paper was initiated last year when the UNICEF State of the World Children's Report um, focused in on the, the situation of children with disabilities, particularly those living in low- and middle-income countries. And really, over the last decade or so, there's been a significant shift in the global child health landscape, which has sort of led to a change where we can now focus a lot more on the quality of life and on the needs of children with disabilities. Firstly, I think there used to be very separate agendas for survival and early childhood development, but there has been a significant decline in under fives mortalities. So we now are looking at less than 7 million deaths per year, which is still high and it still needs to go down to zero. But it has led us to have a greater examination on the circumstances in which children are surviving and really understanding that it's the same risk factors which put children at risk for mortality and morbidity that also puts them at risk for having developmental difficulties and for some of the disabilities that we see. So we now see that there's this significant challenge among the children who are surviving where we know that globally there are probably 200 million children who by age five are not developing well and not on track. And we also estimate that one in 20 children in the first 14 years of life are estimated to have a disability and that's something that could affect their mobility, their hearing, their learning. So it's really seeing this shift and and moving forward where survival and development are no longer separate agendas, but they're um, being addressed together. They're being addressed as integrated agendas. And to support this in, in the same time period, what we're also seeing is a number of global reports, a number of global frameworks, things like the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which was um, presented in 2006, where we really have to focus and think about including all people in our development and health agendas, including that of children with disabilities. And there's also been a re-engagement or an interest for example, in community-based rehabilitation, which was sort of left on the back burner for a while. But then in 2010, there's been a a report that has updated the way that we look at interventions for children and adults with disability. And coupled with the International Classification for Functioning Disability and Health, 
we're sort of moving forward and thinking not only about the numbers of children that are affected by disability, but also how we begin to um, intervene to ensure that they're included in all services and that they're fully participating in health and in education and in community development agendas. So I think it's a number of factors that has brought about this shift um, to now focus on, on this very important subpopulation, if you like, in child health. That really makes sense now. I liked your title very much. It was, it was appropriately provocative and made me think about what literature was out there and why that alone wasn't sufficient. And it clearly, your paper clearly moved that forward. What, what did you find in your review? I'm, I'm interested particularly in terms of what sorts of studies you identified and of those, what interventions were found to be successful and what weren't. And I guess to an extent, how much um, the interventions that didn't work were limited by the context in which they were conducted. Right. So we began, first of all, just by looking at what was happening with respect to screening. One of the key limitations that we found in screening, whether it was key informant strategies or national surveys, is there's been tremendous progress in counting children, but none of these surveys or screening processes, or very few of them, are really linking to what happens next. So what happens once you've identified the child with disabilities. And I was actually at a conference in the, with the, hosted by the WHO this week where they really emphasize that the sort of count and run approach is not acceptable and that we really need to think about how we're linking our screening systems to services, particularly in low and middle income countries where the infrastructure and the um, personnel who can support the family and the children with disabilities need to need to be strengthened. So there were some good examples. Um, the Global uh, Monitoring of Child Development is a screening process which uses open-ended questions, for example, to gather information on children with disabilities, but it's very much linked to the advice that the health worker, be it a, a nurse or a pediatrician or a family physician, can then give to the caregivers. And this is something that's been validated by Ilgi Ertem and colleagues in Turkey. And it's now actually being um, tested with 12,000 children across Turkey, South Africa, India and Argentina. So we're seeing some real progress in thinking about how the measurement or the screening instruments can be linked to appropriate advice or appropriate referrals. But then moving on to the specific intervention studies through the peer-reviewed literature, we really only identified six intervention studies. And these were from Bangladesh, from Kenya, from Malawi, from India and Vietnam. And they looked at diverse um, disabilities and diverse interventions. So one study, for example, was focusing on the improvement of feeding skills. Another was looking at the improvement of communication skills in young children. Two or three of them were really looking at parental training. So how could parents support the daily activities and promote development in young children with disabilities? In some ways, there were some positive outcomes. 
in that there were some improvements in some of the skills that children with disabilities could do, particularly um, this was noticed in the study from Vietnam, which looked at intellectual disabilities. But the most important finding, I, I guess, is the improvement in the parenting capacity to manage the needs of their children. That's really interesting. And in terms of the, the contribution of the environment, the societies in which these studies were, were conducted, were there restraints there that were, that were modifiable? So this is um, a key issue that we really need to tackle, I guess, in further work. For example, the study in Malawi um, looked at what could be achieved within the home setting and the intervention to support the family and the child was delivered through um, community-based rehabilitation workers, so not necessarily specialists. And one of the, the challenges that they faced was they could help the family deal fairly well with things that were happening inside of the home and things that were directly about the child. But when it, it came to things outside of the home, like addressing stigma or addressing um, barriers which prevented children from participating in um, community life or in school, those became the larger challenges. And so it draws attention to the need of having sort of multiple layers of intervention. So you're looking at the needs of the, the child and the family at the very heart of the intervention, but you also need to look at how um, the de delivery personnel can, can in some way support the parents to be strong and powerful advocates for that child, but they, how they can also themselves become advocates for children with disabilities within the, the communities that they're living. So some of these things are modifiable, looking at campaigns to, to, to sort of help people dispel myths about disability, for example, helping teachers to understand how they could support a more inclusive environment in a classroom, but they really have to be tackled more systematically and at the moment we don't have those studies fully evaluated. No, I can see that's going to be one of the, the, the next big steps. Well, things are obviously changing fairly rapidly, it would appear. Where do you see things going from here, that the, the MDG's first target date is coming up next year? How do you see things evolving on the on the disability front over the next decade or so? I think the sustainable development goals, sort of the post-2015 agenda, provides a time for opportunity to really um, put child development and children with disabilities at the very heart of that agenda. Because without um, investing in children, the sort of sustainable development goals that have been proposed could not really be fully achieved. But I think there's a lot of advocacy efforts ahead to really put that at the heart of the agenda. For disability, I think being part and parcel of the child development agenda, um, so that what you do to promote development for all children is also going to be beneficial for promoting the well-being of children with disabilities. And I think in order to progress on that front, we really need to, I guess, have more novel approaches to the way we provide 
the evidence and the models of programs that could be feasibly implemented and could be effective in resource poor communities. So I think we need to start thinking more about collaborative child's health and development partnerships where because we're often dealing with a minority of children in a community, how do we link up to have more multi-site, multi-community programs and evaluations? How do we really build the capacity? Because in many of these countries, there are not going to be the multitude of allied health professionals that are needed. And we've got some good starting points. We have good models in Bangladesh, where we have developmental therapists. But we really need to think about how these can be replicated in other settings. And I think it is very important that while there are a number of challenges, we, we agree at least on a framework for analyzing these very diverse interventions so that for example, if you use the International Classification of Functioning, Disability and Health, there are some comparable outcomes. For example, does an intervention improve participation in family life? Does it reduce some of the challenges in the environment that children with disabilities and their families face? And can we leverage some of the enablers in the environment? So I think that we have frameworks available. We just need to think more innovatively about how we work together to address some of those challenges. That's really positive. And at least um, the way of thinking about these issues has clearly changed and changed for the better. Because I think there's been a period, or there had been a period of, for a number of years, of not a great deal happening. And it seems like this is an exciting time in the area. Thank you very much for talking about the paper, Aisha. It's been a real pleasure. And I hope maybe we can, at some point, revisit the whole area and perhaps have an updated paper in some form or another. That would be great.